Hello and welcome to Beyond the Events, which features conversations with industry leaders discussing their careers and experiences producing the world's most talked about events. I'm your host, Star. Today I'm joined by Ryan Soroka, music agent at United Talent Agency, UTA. Ryan will share insights into his career, music and talent representation, and management. Ryan has over 10 years of experience representing artists within the entertainment industry. However, his passion for playing a role in the music scene started in the seventh grade, when he began running local shows as a means to showcase the music he felt strongly about. Throughout Ryan's career, he has applied that same passion, working with countless artists, agencies, and live music venues to bring that experience to the masses. In Ryan's role as music agent at United Talent Agency, he oversees the North America tour strategy for a host of artists, including the Aces, David Garibaldi, One OK Rock, and Montier Paranay, placing them on multiple tours. Ryan is not only responsible for managing talent, but he also works as a change agent through his platform, Play Inspired. Ryan's mission is to develop artists, giving music and art a place within the ever-changing cultural landscape. Ryan, I'm so happy to have you join us today. Welcome to the program. So we'll get right into it. Um, how did you get your start in the industry? Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of get a start when I was super young. Uh, transparently, when I was a kid, I was a drummer in a lot of really, really crappy pop punk bands. And uh, to be honest, you know, my friends and I wanted to play shows, but nobody would put us at an actual music venue to play shows because we were kids and our music wasn't that good and a host of other reasons. And, and, you know, to be honest, we just thought, well, why don't we just try to put on our own shows? So, you know, I grew up in a, in a suburban town in Northern New Jersey and, you know, we wanted, we figured that there was small, you know, music studios and VFW halls that we could potentially rent out. And at the time, we thought, you know, what else could kids do on the weekends besides maybe play Xbox or, I don't know, go to the movies or something. So we figured we could put on these cool shows with our band and other friends of ours bands that went through our high school and create these like cool, you know, shows and experiences every couple months. And I remember after the first show, I think we made like $300 and me and my friends were like, we are rich. This is it. We can like drop out of school, like nothing else matters, like officially in the music industry. And we kind of just kept putting on shows. And after a while, you know, I figured I don't really want to uh, be risking money that I don't have because I'm a child. And eventually just kind of tried to figure out exactly what I could be doing to, to still be within the music industry. And uh, MySpace was super popular at the time. So I was just kind of trying to figure out using connections and people that I've met on MySpace if it's possible to help artists out by by connecting them with promoters and venues and helping them find shows and that was it was kind of just an opportunity that i created just from from chance and from technology at the point and fortunately i met a lot of really cool people along the way and a lot of people have given me a lot of help and opportunities and it's led to where i am right now that's awesome well we know that you didn't drop out of school so <laughs> talk to us a little bit more about how you uh, went further along that path. So basically from childhood and then to a little bit like uh, getting fully into integrated into an industry in a formal world. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, uh, 
you know, as I mentioned, like I kind of was starting to find bands on MySpace and, and trying to see if I can basically be like their pseudo agent just by helping them find shows. And at the time I was picking up this band called The Dangerous Summer, who was uh, the first band that I technically had on my roster. And, uh, you know, they're a, band, a small band from Ellicott City, Maryland. Didn't really have anybody uh, working with them at the time. And, you know, fortunately, they just started to get some uh, a good following and, and they signed to a small label called Hopeless Records or an, not a small label, but an independent label called Hopeless Records. And uh, once that happened, you know, uh, a man over there named Eric Tobin started helping me out and kind of giving me pointers and connecting me with some of the right people. And then at simultaneously at the same time, I was starting to get connected through this music festival that used to exist called The Bamboozle by this guy named John D'Esposito, who, uh, who helped connect me with other people and kind of showed me the ropes within that world as well. And, you know, just kind of throughout high school, I kind of figured out how everything works behind the scenes and just exactly like who the players are and who's involved in what and just kind of like the vernacular to use and the different situations that you get yourself into and just kind of learned a lot by doing and making like a ton and a ton and ton of mistakes and just, <laughs> kind, of, like just kind of trying to, to figure everything out from there. No, that's awesome. So obviously you were doing well before you even decided to go into college and basically like take this into a formal role. But did you wind up studying this in college or what was your base there? So uh, when I got into college, I got into uh, Penn and I got to study at Wharton and they didn't have like a music industry program. But I also figured, you know, based off the options I had to go to college, it was a great school and I kind of would benefit from learning about just business in general. Mm -hmm. uh, while I'm there. So I kind of, I, I took a liking to marketing and finance as my, as my concentrations. Uh, but, but while in college, myself and, and my, my former business partner, Brad Wiseman, you know, he and I were kind of informally working together on bands. And I was at one point actually booking his band. Uh, and we just kind of got to a point when we, when I was in college, where we thought maybe it's, a, it's the time to formally put together an actual company and, and do this right. So when I was in college, uh, I, I met, a, a, you know, for the first time in person, uh, Dan Sanshaw and Steve Reddy over at Equal Vision, which is a, another independent record label based out of Albany. And, you know, they run the record label, but they also are just super entrepreneurial where they also have a merch company and were investors in a bunch of other things. So they kind of helped me formalize the business side of the company that Brad and I were building. So we launched what ended up uh, being uncreatively named the Soroka Agency. Uh, when I was a freshman in college and then we kind of just started building everything from there simultaneously while I was still studying and really learning. It was, it was essentially just kind of like from a business perspective, like, you know, like kind of taking the test while you have like the textbook with you because like you're kind of like trying to, to, to learn as you go and also hope that you're not making mistakes or getting caught, you know, while you're trying to figure out how to make everything work. Yeah, that, most people, they'll take that skill set and then do it afterwards, but you decided, like, let's just mash this together and see what happens. Listen, the opportunity was there. I just figured, you know, it's, we, had, we had a cool thing going for a while, and, you know, kind of like musically, we were working with a lot of pop punk and, and rock bands because that's kind of what my background was. I grew up going to Warp Tour. You know, my dad brought me to my first Warp Tour when I was, like, 10 or 12, and, you know, my favorite bands growing up were, like, Less Than Jake and Blink-182 and Sum 41. So like those are the bands that we were working with. And at the time we had a few artists that were really starting to show a lot of promise within, within that space. And we just kind of ran with it because the, the opportunity was there. So we kind of just wanted to, to take it to siege the moment. 
No, it, uh, it's, it makes sense. I mean, you were at the top school, so I'm sure the level of education that you were getting there tied in very quickly to what you were doing in uh, your independent life. So that's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it was weird because like, you know, it was demanding naturally. So like, I'm getting frustrated while working while at school because I'm, you know, really invested in what we were doing work-wise. So mm-hmm. like, I could really care less about learning how to like leverage and unleverage you know, financial positions and, um, and figure out like, you know, how, how exactly to, to trade stocks and, and look at that side of things. But like, you know, at the same time, I guess in hindsight, it was, it was definitely necess- necessary and, and good learning practices. No, definitely. I, I think all of us, like you take this skill set from everything and then you eventually, it's like an aha moment where it's like, oh, I kind of did need that. So thank Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, 2020 is definitely hindsight. Exactly. <laughs> I think we're all learning that during 2020. So you talked to us about having your own agency a bit, um, but eventually that leads us to your role as a music agent at UTA. So share with us some insight into the day-to-day role now and how that, how that transition even happened. Totally. So uh, essentially, after five years of doing the Soroki Agency, you know, we, at that point, we kind of built up the roster to have about 50 or 60 artists. And we had a few other agents that were working with us, but, you know, we, we kept hitting a lot of the same obstacles where it was, you know, we build artists up to a certain point and then they would go to a bigger agency or just like certain things just kind of really weren't going our way. So, you know, Brad and I had a true heart to heart conversation one day and just kind of figured that we need to put ourselves both in positions where we're able to continue doing the job, where we had a little bit more protection and more opportunities for resources and, and, and opportunity to grow. So, you know, back in 2016, we both, you know, amicably decided to just go our separate ways and, and go and try to find out greener pastures at other agencies. And, you know, there's no hard feelings or anything. We're still super close friends now and it's always been great, but, you know, throughout the entire process of running the Soroka agency, you, you put within music, and it's different, you know, in film, TV and other departments, but within music agents across different companies tend to work with each other a lot. You kind of need to, to play nice in the sandbox per se. So you're always meeting people. And through that, you know, I've, I've made great relationships with certain other agents, at other companies, and it led to conversations of me potentially going and joining these other companies that existed. Uh, one of those being UTA. Uh, and at the time there was you know, maybe like five or six different people at the company that I was close with who I was having conversations with. And eventually once Brad and I came to the realization, I kind of weighed out my different options and it just made the most sense to come to UTA. So I've been there since 2016. Um, and on top of, you know, bringing a few of the artists I was previously working with, I've been building my roster otherwise, but also I've been taking a role within just like build, uh, booking the, the general roster within a specific territory and, you know, 1500 capacity venues and above. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's incredible to have your own book of business and having artists that would actually go with you because like you said, it's a really competitive business and a lot of people get poached as, um, as we know, and, yep. um, to basically have that loyalty with the artist. Just talk to us a little bit about like artist relationship and building that relationship with the artist so that they are comfortable staying with you long-term. Totally. I mean, it, it honestly just comes down to the attention and the work that you put into it at the end of the day. You know, a lot of the times when you're working with an artist, depending on who it is, most of the time, as from an agent perspective, you're mostly dealing with the manager. However, it's still super important to have an actual direct relationship with the artist just because, you know, when you're most emotionally invested in it and you really want to see an artist win and, and succeed, 
you know, you want to be able to understand their perspectives on everything and be able to see what they're going through mentally and, and where their head's at just so you can understand like the best way to position them. So, you know, when you're booking a tour or looking for different opportunities, what resonates with them specifically as an artist. And maybe there's certain things that aren't being related to you or certain preferences. So like, you're, you may not be aware if an artist, you know, if their dream festival is to play Lollapalooza or if their dream artist to open for is, I don't know, Bruce Springsteen or something, mm -hmm. you know, so like kind of like understanding uh, the clients that you work with and the bond that you build, make it easier to, to gain that trust. And as long as you're delivering and, and, and being communicative and also just being open and honest with them, then they normally trust you as their representative within the agency space. And it helps, you know, when you're in this situation where you might not be able to bring someone with you or go to a different company, it helps like have those conversations because they know that you've been in their corner since day one. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of times, I mean, relationships are everything. Um, that's a consistent thing that we talk about on Beyond the Events, just because you just never know. Like in this industry, it's so small, you're probably gonna come across somebody's path again. So it's just best to be a great person and, and make sure, yeah, make sure that you have a credible um, Rasta with you and, and talent behind you. People know. People know. So that goes right into my next question is what have you loved about being an agent? Like what, what, uh, you know, gets you going? To be honest, I'll, I'll, like it's an insanely stressful job. And <laughs> I think that, and, and this isn't, this isn't just exclusive to being an agent and I'm sure you feel it within within your role and what you do. And there's a million other jobs that are with this, but you know, I'll, I'll start with like the, 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 the downside of it is the fact that you're always planning three to six months plus in advance. And in a pandemic time, it seems like we're planning like, you know, 12 plus months in advance, but you're always planning so far in advance that like, it's hard to really be able to enjoy the things that are happening in real time for like the small wins that are happening as they happen, just because you're always so stressed about everything in the future. However, you know, when you do have an artist that you've been grinding it out for since day one, and you're able to watch them perform at a festival, that's like a, a major milestone for them, or there's that big headline show where they're finally selling out, you know, Irving Plaza or Webster Hall or something, mm -hmm. or they're on the big support tour that, you know, it's the, the opportunity of their dreams. Like that's really the moments that make it all worthwhile because you finally feel like all the stress and all the the, the action, everything you put into it, like finally culminates to something. And it's something that is physically there in person. You know, music's an interesting thing because it's, it's not a tangible item and shows are an, is an interesting industry to be in because like the live space, you're giving music a place and you're able to physically see like, oh, cool. Like here's an artist that I believed in who I heard an MP3 of six years ago. And now they're doing this really important thing in their lives. And they're having like a moment within within the cultural sphere and that's like the yeah the thing that actually makes it all worthwhile yeah and you talked about placing artists like that's a that's a big part of your your role so can you talk to us about like what does that mean like because a lot of our listeners may not understand like what that actually entails yeah so i mean as an agent not only are you constantly pitching artists you know to get offers to go and play shows or festivals but also kind of, as I mentioned before, which is why you really need to play nice in the sandbox with everybody. Constantly, you're pitching artists to go and be the opener for a larger tour where they would be able to, you know, gain press and also a, a fan base by, by playing and, and opening for a much larger artist. So, you know, in the process with that, constantly we're pitching ourselves, a, a specific artist to another agent, you know, maybe have, you have the manager deal with their manager also and see if there's anything that, that, that they can collaborate on that would 
basically move a name up a list and make it a higher priority for an offer to come for that artist to open for whoever it is. Um, and and that's a it's a it's a really significant win. You know, if you're an artist that's putting out their first record, or they need to kind of like maintain some sort of relevancy in between records, you know, those support opportunities are huge because it allows you to continue great, uh, building your fan base when you might not have you know much going on on the on the music release side that uh, that allows you to move the needle. No, definitely, definitely. I mean, the being versatile is, is everything, and it's basically you're playing in so many different sandboxes and managing those relationships. It, it's probably a borderline on insanity, but <laughs> absolutely, it's it's a lot to keep track of for sure. Exactly. And you talked about it briefly. Uh, obviously, these times are interesting times. How have your clients' needs changed? I mean, there's nothing really going on. So are they dabbling in other spaces? How is that going? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, some have straight up just put their hands up and said, cool, we're just going to go back and start working on music and not, not really prioritize like touring or live within this year or however long this takes. Um, and, you know, they're on their path doing that. But others have been trying to get creative and figure out what else you could possibly be doing now from a, a artist development point of view, but also B, a we need income. You know, how are we able to to sustain our lives with this career without without shows point of view? So, you know, we've been really having to get creative and think outside the box. I'm sure you've seen the different drive in shows and socially distanced pod type shows. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it works for some artists. It doesn't really work for others. We've been we've been working on virtual live streams as well which has been great wins for certain artists um but and 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 in addition to that seeing if brand opportunities may exist where you might be able to do something in collaboration with a brand um but it's tough i mean i think everyone's kind of writing the script as we go along during the pandemic and you know it's we're at this moment seven months in and everyone's just kind of trying to figure out like what is new that we could possibly do to help an artist a be able to make make a living, but also continue to grow, especially because some acts are still putting out records right now, mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that they're getting the attention that they deserve in this year. Exactly, and you touched about that. There's a lot of things that are going to be new. So I would ask, in your opinion, as of right now, we won't hold you to it, but what do you see as being um, some of these new trends and new normals that may stick following this period? Um, that's a good question. I mean. I keep going back and forth as to how much the virtual performance aspect is going to stick because like, I don't think anything beats the experience of actually seeing something in person. However, I do think that maybe there's a world where if an artist sells out a venue very quickly, there might be a virtual component that could be sold along with it. So say you sell out, you know, the Bowery ballroom in New York city, which holds 575 people perhaps there's an, there's an opportunity for them to be able to sell additional tickets if people want to watch it from home afterwards, as long as the show's already sold out. And that way, you know, everybody's able to continue generating more money. And also fans are able to experience a New York City show for their favorite artists as well. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think the upsell was probably there. Because like you said, every, yeah. people want to see things in person. And you've seen it just from... Um, the industry opening up in other areas of the country and the world, like people are flooding that. So I don't think there's a replacement for that, but we'll definitely see some new um, add-ons that come out of this for the people that can't experience it. Um, is there anything else that you would like to see that you're not seeing now, or are you pretty content where we're at? I mean, content's a hard word <laughs> during, during the pandemic. I mean, I don't know. Like I think 
I think uh, what's going to be interesting when we come back is there's going to be so many artists that are going to be trying to tour in such a small period of time that I'm optimistic that we'll get more creative as agents and as teams with the packaging that we do. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful that we'll see, you know, really cooler combinations of artists, or you might see two artists that would do their own separate tour because they really want to go and play, you know, Brooklyn steel and go do their own thing. Just be like, you know what, how about we package together and do a bigger overall show together. And that way you're not competing against each other in the same time frame, but also you're building a really cool experience for the artist. I'm for, I'm sorry for the fan who would be like, cool, these are two of my favorite acts. And they're doing this like once in a lifetime type tour. Like this is a cool opportunity for me to experience right now, as opposed to having to decide as to how you want to spend your money in the future. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I'm just going to shift a little bit and uh, just kind of go back and bring it all together. (laughs) Um, So how do you think your previous positions, entrepreneurship have helped you be a successful agent? That's a good question. Um, I think it's mostly because, you know, when I was doing Soroka Agency, it was interesting because I think any sort of entrepreneur, anyone that's running a company, you kind of feel like you're jumping to the deep end without knowing how to swim for the most part. So, and you don't really know if like any, if you're, if what you're doing is going to help or if anything's going to lead you to what you're trying to get to, you know, we grow up and we, you know, we, if you're, if you want to be a, a soccer player, you do soccer practice and you do different drills and you figure it's going to help you get to where you're going to. However, there's not really like a script that's written out for people that are running their own companies. So I think it's helpful in the fact that, you know, in a time like now, you kind of just need to throw the script out and just think what's something that I can do that's not necessarily within the normal means of the job description uh, for the sake of servicing and helping out the artists that we work with and just figuring out like what's, what's that new element, what's that new service that you can do and, and try to figure out how to make it work. No, that totally makes sense. So really just piggybacking right off of that, like if you were to give someone advice that wants to basically explore entrepreneurship, what piece of advice would you give them? I mean, I would just say, depend. Like, if it's, I would say, figure out, do your research first, and then just dive into it. Like, if you're if you're trying to get into music per se, like, say you want to get into entrepreneurship as a, you know, a promoter. Like, figure out who research and figure out who all the players are in the game. Mm-hmm. Who are the other promoters that are within your space and your lane? Also, who are the people that you're going to be buying from? You know, what are the artists that, that work that resonate and work within you know the market that you're trying to be a promoter in? And then just go for it and, and understand that you're going to screw up a lot and that's part of it. And then hopefully you can just learn from those mistakes and they don't become mistakes in the future. Exactly. And even though you didn't take um, the traditional path, you kind of dived in and then <laughs> decided to go into um, the agency world. What's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody that basically either wants to enter in fresh, let's just say they're coming out of college and or wants to transition like you did, like people want to do career changes, you know, things like that. I would, I mean, I think it's most important and it's going to be way easier when the pandemic is over, but you know, networking is always key. So you really just need to go out there and put yourself out in those situations and just try to be, I know not everybody's is, is, I know not everyone's an extrovert, but I think you still need to try to put yourself out there and just try to network and at least meet more people because even if, you know, you have an idea as to what you want to do. You might meet somebody who's working on something else that sounds super interesting and which you might pivot to. And you'll only benefit more from actually getting to know a bunch of, a plethora of different people who might give you insight as to what you want to do eventually in life. 
Exactly. And um, I will say this with all due respect, you're not a one trick pony. So that leads us to the awesome work that you're doing with your initiative, Play Inspired. Please tell the audience about Play Inspired, why you started it and its mission. Sure. Um, so Play Inspired is a charity project I work on. Uh, essentially, the backstory of it is when I was a kid, my mom was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. Uh, she was from a, a super small town called Altamira. And it was, you know, at, at the time it was, they, they have, fortunately now they have full electricity and everything. But back when she was growing up and when we used to go as kids, uh, there would be like electricity, like maybe like two hours a day and like no running water. So it kind of gives you an idea as to what kind of place it was. And my brother and I, when we were kids, used to go there for summers and play baseball because we were obsessed with it. And uh, I was great until I stopped growing. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but, you know, I always wanted to kind of find a way to give back and, and just be able to support everyone over there. And, you know, actually, the cool thing within UTA is they have this program called Live Inspired, where they uh, choose five different employees per year who apply and they give them a $2,500 grant uh, to, to, and, a, and one week to be able to do a, a project either specifically for themselves uh, or, or a charity project for others. Uh, and, and it's essentially like a, a give a dream or, or live a dream type situation. And to be honest, I applied. And I, I, what I really wanted to do was go back and sponsor the league that I used to play in back in Dominican Republic. And fortunate enough, I was, I was chosen. And, you know, originally I was planning on just doing that where I was going to go back and be able to pay for all the kids and, you know, organize a bunch of equipment for them. Um, and, but then I, you know, had an outpouring of help from people who were willing to donate also and, and keep it going. So now essentially we're trying to do once a year where we're going to pick out a different league uh, in an underprivileged area somewhere in the Caribbean and, you know, gather equipment to donate and help subsidize some of the costs of the league and just see what we could possibly do to help out. So kids that might not be able to afford to play baseball or softball are able to do so. That's awesome. See, I learned something new about you every day. I did not know that you played in DR. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, listen, that was like <laughs> fourth and fifth grade. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that I was on the cusp of making the MLB by any means, but you know, it was still a good experience at the time. No, also, I, you know what, um, I will say, honestly, playing in any type of sports and structured environment growing up, it really does help you coming into our industry, because totally. that foundation really does transfer over. So it does, it does help. So I'm sure that that definitely played into a major part into who you've become. And that has been a success. So typically ask, uh, what's one event that you would love to or would have loved to work on before, during, uh, or future? But for you, I'm actually going to switch it and put you on the spot. So I'm going to say, what's one artist that you would have loved to work with uh, or would love to work with in the future and why? Interesting. Um, well, I'm a really big fan of Carol G at the moment. So honestly, I would just love to work with her just because uh, I love, you know, her style is incredible. I love exactly like, what she kind of stands for within the entire Latin reggaeton community. Mm -hmm. So I just, just personally as a music fan, that's kind of definitely one of them that's up there for me. And you actually touched on something because you have a barrage of um, artists. So is there, I know that you're passionate about all different types of music, but is there a particular genre of music that you like, it's like, yes, this is it. <laughs> I mean, I think personally for me, uh, just because it's what I grew up on, like pop punk music is definitely always going to be that kind of thing. So like if I'm at a bar and, you know, a Sum 41 song comes on, 
you know that I'm going to start, depending on how many drinks I'm in, you know, I'm going to start just belting out every single lyric in front of everybody. So that's, that's, that's definitely my, my bread and butter personally. So we know what to put on next time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So I want to ask you this, um, how can the audience connect with you and become more involved with Play Inspired? Uh, feel free to hit me up on Instagram, which is just my, my handle is just my name. Um, you know, if you can add my email to the show notes, feel free to email me anytime. I'm generally always uh, down to give advice or just talk to anybody if they have any sort of questions and yeah, always happy to help. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. Be sure to follow Ryan Soroka on Instagram and LinkedIn. Also follow and like beyond the events on Instagram, LinkedIn, and here for the latest episodes. If you'd like to watch the video broadcast of this and previous episodes, subscribe to Beyond the Events on YouTube. Join me next time on Beyond the Events. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.